that we yes, have, Lord. this time, this privilege that we have to come together as a body, God. Father, we are ending this year, God, and it has been a year. We have seen so much in this world. The world is literally crumbling in front of our eyes, and many of us have walked through pain and hurt and suffering this year, God. But the one thing that has not changed is that you are God, that you are sovereign over all things, God. And I just pray, Father, as we look to this new year, that we would have hope and joy and peace, regardless of what our families do, our bodies do, this world does, our government, God. No matter what happens to our economy or our borders, Father, we trust you in all things, Father. And Father, we lift up those who are worshiping in your name, who are under threat of persecution, Father. Encourage them this day, Father. And I pray, God, that if any would enter into your kingdom, Father, um, today as a martyr, Father, I pray that you would receive them, God, and that many would come to know you because of their sacrifice, Father. And we ultimately thank you for the sacrifice of your son. So today, Father, I pray that we would respond, Father, that we would respond to in obedience to your word, Father. I pray that you would strengthen Rob in the name of Jesus for all you've called him to today, Father. And I pray that that no weapon formed against him would prosper, Father. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Let's worship the King of Kings.
Father, we thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for the good news of Jesus. We thank you, Father, that you so loved the world that you gave your one and only Son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Yes, Lord. Even before the earth was formed, the cross was purpose. No greater love than this that a man will lay down his life for his friends. Jesus, he laid yours down for us. He came as a, as a baby in a manger. You humbled yourself, Lord, to save us. The rebellious creation. <laughs> and yet, you love us. You came for us. Oh God, how I pray for each of us, Lord, that we would truly celebrate Father, the, the birth of Christ, the life of Christ, the resurrected Christ. <laughs> oh God, we thank you that you're not man that you should lie. That what you have purposed, you are bringing about. That Jesus would return for those who belong to him. And for eternity, we would reign with Christ. Oh, Father. This is our hope. This is our hope. So why should our souls be downcast? When you've come, Father, to awaken us to the truth and to the reality of eternity with you. And so may we praise you afresh and anew this Christmas season, Lord. And as we look to the new year, God. May we not dredge and carry everything that's been burdening us into this new year. Yes. <laughs> but, oh God, may we truly understand freedom. Yes. That he who the Son has set free is free indeed. <laughs> so may we live as freed people. And we thank you for that because it's only through Christ and it's only through Christ and Christ alone that we can experience the fullness of life. And we thank you for that, Lord. May our time today together in your word, God, be pleasing unto Christ. Lord, and Father, we ask God that our hearts would be of good soil to receive so that fruit would come forth, lasting fruit, that our lives would bring glory and honor to you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Community, two definitions. The last time you'll hear them. Mm -hmm. A group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. A feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. The Christian community. Again, the foundation of this community, unlike any other communities out there, is Christ. 
We have the truth. We know the author of life, the giver of life. We're not distant. We're not off from him. No, no, no. We are in Christ. If you are a believer, if you have been born again of a new nature, you are in Christ. You are seated with Christ. And you're longing for the return of Christ. Oh, the hope that we have as the community of Christ to then go forth out into the other communities to declare the good news of Christ, the risen Savior. Again, we can celebrate the baby in the manger. We can celebrate Christ on the cross. And we can celebrate the resurrection. But oh, how we need to be preparing for his return. He's coming. He's coming. And we are to be his representatives, his ambassadors, his bride, the bride of Christ. We are to be a people who have common interests, goals, doing life together, unified, equipped, because it's the Spirit of God that equips us to do the will of God. Remember, don't forget, the Bible encourages us. It is He that gives us the desire and the power to live for Him, to obey Him. You're not going to conjure it up yourself. No, it is a life now, it's a new life. It's a life born again of the Spirit of God. God in you. Jesus says he has to go away so that he will come. He being the Holy Spirit. It's not an it. It is a person. It is part of the Trinity. God in us. And I keep encouraging us, as the Bible encourages, we're not to live lives that grieve the Holy Spirit. But to live lives that honor Him, that depend on Him. We are to walk habitually in the Spirit so we do not gratify the desires of the flesh. We don't make excuses for the sin that so easily entangles us. No, the Bible says to throw it off. To throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. Like you have all that you need in Christ to live and to function in a wicked and perverse world. The community, the body of Christ, we are equipped to come together and to accomplish the purposes of Christ. He's gifted us all differently. But collectively, those gifts work together to point those who are still captive by Satan to Christ. That there is a way of freedom. And so we can't just keep being lulled to sleep. No, this is a life now that we are to be living and experiencing, not alone, but together. 
And now we're coming to the end of 2022. And I've been encouraging you, praying for you, in hopes that you would grow with a desire for fellowship with Christ and fellowship with the community, the body of Christ. And if that hasn't deepened this year, and as you've heard me say throughout the year, something is wrong with your Christianity. Something is seriously wrong. Because it has been held before you. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Wednesdays after Wednesdays after Wednesdays. I mean, every time we're together over this past year, we've heard about community, the importance of community, persevering in community. And so only you know, and God knows, your heart and what you've done with what you've heard. Has it impacted your life? You can't blame the preacher. You can't blame the other Christians in your life. No, it's you. It's what you do with the truth that you hear and how you're applying it to your life. You can't make excuses about how hard and rough your life is because it's only going to get harder. If you can't apply truth now in the season of the life that you're in now, you're not going to apply it next year. Because the world is getting darker. Circumstances are getting harder. Especially for the community of believers throughout the earth. And so we're not living and saying, well, if you change our circumstances, God, then I'll trust you. Now you got to trust him now. Because he's still God, even if those circum- temporal circumstances don't change. Sure. No, he's God and God alone. And you ought to be cultivating this, what's been given to you, to love him with all of your very being. And then to get in community with people who love him, with their very being. You see, the threat to the community of believers, it's not the world. It's not the world. I mean, we already understand the world because we were once a part of it. We understand what's out there. The hurt, the pain, everything else. We understood, we understand that at one point we sought after the temporal things to lord over us, to try to find some fulfillment or wholeness in the temporalness. We lived that way before. But that's not who we are if you are a child of God, if you're part of the community of believers. We come together. We don't need a show and someone to hype us up to make us feel like we're saved. No, we come together because we know we're saved. And we come to rejoice. We come to worship. We come to hear the reading of the word, to pray, to exalt the name of Jesus, to invite the lost in. So they can see the community of, 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 of believers 
of all, from all types of walks of life doing life together. And they should be able to look and say there's something different about you all. And all we have for them is Jesus. But the threat to the community of believers are those who are sitting within the community of believers throughout the earth somehow have convinced themselves, listen to the lies of the enemy to deceive them, that they're actually part of it. I said, God help us. Do we truly understand when we read the word of God of the day and the age in which we are living, the days and the age and the times to come that's ahead for us? I keep telling us for a couple years now, we can't keep doing church the way we've done church. We're not creating disciples, we're creating apostates. You need to be discipled in the Word of God. You need to be active part of the community of believers, utilizing the gifts in which you've been given in order to advance the cause of Christ and the gospel throughout the other communities. You should be actively representing Christ, not just depending upon everyone else to do it, you should be doing it. Because the threat is from within. <laughs> the wolves in sheep clothing. People who hold a form of religion, but then deny the power of God to transform them. And oh, we have to wake up, we have to wake up, we have to wake up. We have to wake up. <clears throat> you see, the lost, when they step in to the community of believers... They should recognize there's something different. How would they know that we belong to him by our love for one another? And they should be drawn to Christ. The religious among us should start feeling uneasy. Because I don't feel like I belong. <laughs> This is uncomfortable for me. It looks like everyone else is, is united, but I don't have a sense of belonging. Or they go to the other extreme. They're so super spiritual, and yet they have no depth in their life. Or they can pray the prayers. They can read the scriptures. They can witness out on the streets. They can tell you how anointed and blessed they are. And yet they have no debt because they have no characteristics of the one in whom they say they know. They're flighty. Here today, gone tomorrow. Every which way. And they talk more about the, 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 like the, 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 the works of the community than they do of the one who formed the community. They'll be quick to tell you how powerful the prayer sessions were. And the faith that the people had. And their prayer becomes their God. They'll be quick to tell you how they're holding a form. And yet they'll be quick to lie in, right in the middle of it all. 
Because they're so deceived, they're willing to deceive, try to deceive you. They're liars, they're backbiters, they're grumblers, they're complainers, they're fornicators. They got everything going on. And yet they have no commitment to Christ or really to the community. And this is what we're contending with. Because the wheat and the tares are growing together. The enemy has infiltrated. And his ground has been gaining since the garden. Did God really say? I mean, just look at what's happening in these past three years in the church. The rapid decline that's taken place. And yet we're called to be together. That's why we have to wake up, you all. We have to wake up to really treasure the community of believers. To honor Christ. To protect and guard what has been entrusted to us. To treasure it. It's just not a flippant, well, if I can make it, I'll go. If I can make time in my schedule, because you know I got all these other things I got to do. But I can't come every Sunday. You know, we have all these excuses. But yet, we expect of God and the community to be there when we need them. Do for me, do for me, do for me, do for me. And we got to wake up, we got to wake up. Yes, there's things that happen in life. Yes, there's things that go on with people's schedule. But there's a way to get created to connect. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? There's a way. Things happen. Life happens. Yeah. But it's the heart. It's the heart that really exposes what's really going on. It's the reality Are we loving Christ? Are we loving each other? Community. Community. Oh, how I pray. You get on your face as I've been on mine praying for the church throughout the earth, for our little fellowship, and for what God is calling us and equipping us to do in the days and age in which we are living. I opened up 2022 with the following notes. In 2022, it's a time to commit to maturing in our relationships with each other and with others. Understanding who we are as the church, not just our fellowship, but the church, the body of Christ. It's time for the church to gather and rise to her destiny. She has been called out of darkness and brought into his marvelous light. Too many of us want to reap the benefits of community, but never be part of the community. So it is as well with kingdom principles. Many want the benefits of the kingdom, but no relationship with the king, with Jesus. 
You see, remember, we are behind enemy lines. And the war is raging all around us and will continue until the Lord returns. But Jesus is victorious. And that is how we are to view our lives. From that perspective. Because our identity is in Christ. We are living out of the victory that he obtained. We're not living out of a place of defeat. Greater is he that is in us and he that is in this world. And the word of God tells us he has given us everything we need to live a godly life. We are called to encourage one another and build each other up. Go to 1 Thessalonians. I read this at the beginning of 2022. I've read it throughout 2022. And I will look at it again, closing 2022. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. The call to encourage, to equip, and to build each other up. Hear the reading of the Word of God this morning. Now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters. What? The resurrection. Read above. You'll see he's talking about the hope of the resurrection. So now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. For you know quite well the day of the Lord, the Lord's return will come unexpectedly. Like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin. And there will be no escape. But you, who, you, who, the community of believers, aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. And you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on guard. Not asleep like the others. Listen to this. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us, who? Us, the community, the body of Christ. Let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love and not wearing, I'm sorry, and wearing our helmet, the confidence of our salvation. For God, who? God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. And here's your verse, verse 11. So with this understanding, with this truth that's been laid out to us, So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. We're no longer part of the darkness. 
We have been engrafted into the kingdom of God. The cry from the manger pierced the darkness. The Savior has come to save the world. This is the God in whom, if you're sitting here today, calling yourself a Christian, listening on Zoom, or listening later on the podcast, if you're saying He is Lord of your life, He is the Son of God, the resurrected one, what are we doing living broken, beat down, heavy burden, Come on, we got to get up. We got to get up. We got to put off the filth. We got to stop the lies. We got to get right with God. Get right with each other. Start living for God. Start encouraging and edifying and building up each other up so that we're actively engaging with the communities around us, offering them the hope in Christ. You see, the Bible tells us, if you continue to read, that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God gave, God gave, God gave. And then I love Jesus' words. I mean, the Bible tells us He didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Because he knew the world already stood condemned. we got to stop twisting scripture to make our lives comfortable in our sin and in our rebellion. we got to wake up to the truth and let the truth truly impact our lives to the depths of our being. He didn't come to the world to condemn the world. Because the world already stands condemned. There is a wrath There is a judgment a-coming. Unlike anything the world has ever experienced. And you ought not to be living as one who is marked for his wrath. You have been chosen. You have been called out. You have been equipped if you're truly saved. (laughs) You have been engrafted in. God has prepared good works for you to do even before He placed you in your mother's womb to accomplish while you're upon this earth. Instead of getting so sidetracked with everything and anything else, yoking yourself up with all the chaos that goes on. I mean, I had a beautiful day yesterday with Doreen and Norma. Just talking and praying and worshiping together. Just talking about life and encouraging them to keep going on no matter what's happening around them or within them, to trust in God, 
to start continue to grow and mature as Christians, to stop getting caught up with all everything else that's out here, and live for God. It doesn't mean you're not going to be hurt. It doesn't mean you're not going to go through life. It doesn't mean that the call's not coming or the email won't be received. It doesn't mean that your life is going to be perfect. No, by all means, it could get worse. But you stand up and walk upright amongst a wicked and perverse generation and stop yoking yourself with foolishness. In your own heart, in your own mind, and in your own families, in your own circle of influence. Stop finding your identity in all of that. And find your identity in Christ. To encourage, to edify, and to build each other up. Because we understand the hope that we have of the resurrection. We're not here by accident. But yet each and every single day, think of your de- think of this past week. How did you live? What did you think upon? Are your circumstances your God? Are you easily angered and provoked to despair? Are you cursing the seed in which God is giving you? Or are you planting it? Tending to it, watering it. That <laughs> God is not man that he should lie. What God has planned, what God has purposed, it will come about. And ultimately, what is God's plan and God's purpose? That he will have a people who will belong to him and he will be their God. From Genesis to Revelation. And yet we just want to waller around. We just want to get up. Get clean on Sundays and go right back to the pig pen on Mondays. Like we've got to get up. Did you hear the word read? Do we understand that you're to be actively engaging with Christ, with the Holy Spirit, with community? The rest of my notes that I opened up this year with. We are in error if we say and believe that you don't need to go to church. Where is that in the Bible? The enemy will love nothing more than to pull us apart and sow division and isolate us from one another. We are to be working together, functioning as the body, each of us using our gifts that the Holy Spirit has distributed among us to accomplish our Father's will. I've always encouraged us to be a healthy member of the body of Christ. You are needed And you are purposed for this generation. He has prepared good works for you to do, not in and of our own, not in and of our own strength, but through Him. We are to live out this new life by the Holy Spirit, not our flesh. We are called not to forsake coming together and living out this life together in community. Going to church doesn't save you, but it does equip you. Not attending can lead you to error, which ultimately will lead you astray. I've said it over the past year or so that the way we've done church will not survive in this generation and the generations to come. It's time for the church to return to her roots and grow in Christ and with each other. 
The Christian life was not meant to be lived in solitude, but in community. Oh, and just in case you think I'm talking about just showing up to a building or to a house, no. It's about connecting and growing with a community of believers that desire to draw close to God and to one another. Also, don't make it about a large group of people. He is there in the middle of two or three, or two or more are gathered And so as I said at the beginning of this year, my prayer has been this new year that we will begin to see the beauty and the value of belonging to Christ and to be in community with believers. I don't know how you're ending this year. (laughs) If you've grown at all, how I pray you have. How I pray you have, you have a deeper level of a desire and commitment to Christ and then to community. And that you're preparing each day for the return of our King. That should be the forefront of what we're looking and thinking upon. Norma has experienced a rough weekend this weekend. But I love how the Holy Spirit worked within her to let, bring her to a place where she can give it to God and say, take this misery and turn it in to yet another part of my ministry. I mean, come on, you all. Come on. Stop allowing whatever comes at you in the next call or the next this or the next that that you get so wrapped up in it that you lose sight of how God can use it. Of how God can use it. Get up and get over yourself. And focus on Christ. And we've got to be able to do that with each other. Not just bring people to me or not just tell people about Rob. No, you need to be able to do it when it's happening in front of you, when others are part of this fellowship are acting in error instead of coming to me telling me how they acted in error. Because I'm going to keep telling you, why are you telling me, did you tell them? Did you tell them? Because don't come to me if you're not bold enough and love them enough to tell them to their face. To be able to set up a boundary and say, no, no, listen, brother, sister, that's not who we are. I'm not going to allow you to continue to react that way to me. I will pray for you. I will encourage you. I will love you. But this, You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't treat me like that in front of everyone else. So what makes you think that you could do that when it's just you and I? See, we got to get up and start living. We got to be able to say, no, 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 that's not how it needs, that can't be done that way. Because we're honoring Christ. We're honoring Christ. We're honoring Christ. And so that standard is set not by man, but by God. We are called, if you understand, you are positioned in an incredible time in history. I mean, everyone on earth should applaud that we've gotten this far 
And we made it through these past few years. But the church? Oh, she ought to do more than applaud. She ought to be awakened like, hey, wow, wait a minute. Look at what we were designed and purposed for. And this generation to tell others about the good news of Christ. You see the attacks that are happening left and right. You see the decline of holiness and and community and and love and just things are happening within the, the, the community of believers all throughout the earth. You see how darker and darker it's getting. And you keep stumbling over your poor life. Oh, my life. Nothing's good. Nothing's right. Oh, God. How can you be effective in the community of Christ with all that's going on when you, in and of yourself, can depend upon Christ and the Holy Spirit to get up, to look up, and begin to push back against everything that's pushing up against you. You're like a dog chasing your tail. <laughs> and that ought not be. And again, I always tell you, I don't make, I don't trivialize, I don't, I don't try to, you know, not understand what everyone is going through. <laughs> and, and make it as if it's, oh, it's not that important. No, it is important. <laughs> You're going to feel pain. You're going to go through deep hurt. You're going, to, you're going to experience the weight of life upon you. But child of God, it's not to crush you. And I wish to God we would start speaking truth to each other. I'm sorry you're going through it. But what did you expect? How can God use it? How can I serve you? How can I love you? How can I be available for you? Yes, we can cry together. We can weep together. We can pray together. But God, please don't sit me down in your tent with you. And let your burden become to burden me. Because we must remind each other his yoke is easy and his burden is light. We got to encourage and to equip. It's the tactics of the enemy, it's the tactics of the world, it's the tactics of the flesh. I mean, we even had to go so deep yesterday. I said, We got to stop talking to the dead, we got to stop putting stuff on the dead. They can't answer you. Why are you worried about them? They're dead. Why is everyone just asking, I need deeper, more revelation, more this, more that. It's sin. It's sin. That's all it is. Sin. It has torn apart the creation of God. That's why God hates it. That's why he sent Jesus at the appointed time in history 
to deliver us from it. This is the good news. A child was born, given unto us, God's Son, to deliver us. Do you have that hope? Do you have that hope? Yes, again, we will weep. We will cry. No one's expecting you not to have any emotions. No one's, not, no one's expecting you to be, okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. When in reality, you're not okay. But there's a way to process things. There's a way to work through things. When your life and the innermost being is shattered. As a Christian, you don't go back to what you knew when, my, when those things happened to you. You need to be able to say, brother, sister, hold me accountable. I may have a breakdown. I may cry. I may come just like, oh, but I'm not expecting you to sit there with me. I need you just to hold me up. I just need you to encourage me. Because I know the what I would return to. I know the blow that I've taken. And my armor has a hole in it. But like good soldiers, we don't leave each other. You may have to carry me for a while. But the Lord will give us the strength to do that. And we got to get up, you all. I mean, Jesus, you all. Jesus. Like, he came to the world, not to condemn the world, but to save it. To save it. This is the message that we have. To go out there. The world hates him. <laughs> but it's okay. He knew it would. <laughs> Because they're in rebellion towards his throne. But you just go out. And you just live your life. You smile at people. Stop looking like them. Stop looking like them. Stop going through. Stop, stop expecting all of that what you were used to. Stop it. There is work to be done. Jesus is returning. And oh, how I pray that he will find the community of believers faithful. Faithful in this hour and in the days to come. And so we ought to be excited to gather together, to come together, to worship together, to pray together. To hear the word of God together. To meditate upon it together. To take it and to encourage each other with it. As we look forward to his glorious return. Oh, how I pray that our lamps would be filled. And we will hear, well done, my good and faithful servants. This week's definition 
of a major theological term. This week's term, I love it, it's perseverance. Perseverance refers to the fact that the true believer will not fall away from his relationship to God, but rather by trusting God, faith, he will endure to the end. Trials come. And they must come to equip us. Oh, we better be careful to say, well, what's next? I can tell you what's next. Worse than what you're experiencing now. Well, what kind of message is that? It's an incredible message of hope. Especially if you're a believer. We understand trials come. They're there to equip us. They're there to mature us. To be more like Christ. We perseverance produces character. Ultimately hope. And that hope is in Christ. Not hope that your trial will go away. No, your hope is in Christ. I love it when the Bible says... Perseverance, endurance, it must finish its work so that you're complete, not lacking anything. See, there's a way to start looking at our circumstances. There's a way to start looking at things instead of crumbling at every moment, something flares up. There's a way to live, and it's to persevere. Scriptures I want to share with you today that summarize what God must do for a sinner to make him or her a Christian. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. And oh, I pray that you all are in the Word. That you're going back, you're studying it, you're praying through it, you're applying it, that you're depending upon the Holy Spirit to to be your teacher. So scriptures that summarize what God must do for a sinner to make him or her a Christian. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 through 7. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. We are united with Christ Jesus, you all. We're not waiting for his return. No, it's here and now. And I think too many Christians think all that comes when he returns. No, the expectation of you is to live as if you're united with Christ because you are. If you've been truly born again. You are seated with Christ. You already have the victory. You should know your identity now. It's not about rules and laws. But it is about obedience. If you love him, you will obey him. If you're not obeying, 
You're not loving. And that's the reality that you should sit with or lay down on your face and repent if it truly bothers you. Instead of making excuses for your disobedience. Those are Jesus' words. Jesus' words. If you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not fit for my kingdom. These are Jesus' words. And yet we've made him out to be this weird guy. He tells you, consider the cost. It's going to cost you everything. But he says, but I, Jesus, Jesus, me, follow me. I've already gone through it. I'll give you everything you need. Keep your eyes on me. Watch me. Listen for me. Move when I say move. Speak when I say speak. Serve as I serve. Everything you do, do it as if I did. would do it. This is the intimacy that you need to have with Jesus to continue to grow and to mature so that, so that, It is Christ living in and through you. You're directing yourself dead, but alive in Christ because it's already been accomplished. Go to Romans chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. This is good news. (laughs) I hope you're preaching it to yourself. If you don't have a hunger for the Word of God, if the Word of God you're only hearing on Sundays or when you turn on a podcast or a a TikTok or whatever, something's wrong with your Christianity. If you're not sitting down, meditating upon the Word of God, memorizing Scripture, having a devotional time, not because man says, I had to have a devotion, I had to have a devotion. No, no, no. It's not a burden to live for Christ. I don't have time. I've got to add that to my schedule. You don't know Christ then. That's the reality. And we've got to stop playing games with each other. Well, I know life's hard. Life's busy. Oh, I know you're God. I know, I know. Oh, yes. Oh, God. I, oh, I'm so sorry. Yes. And, and, no, no, no. Do you see? Do you see? You're so wrapped up that you're being, you're, you're, you're being led astray. Because if this isn't your source, something's wrong. Because if this isn't your source, he isn't your source. This is the reality. Like This is the living word of God. And yet we treat it, flip it. This is how he speaks. This is the standard. This is the mirror that we look into. To understand the newness of our identity. Romans 6 verse 4 through 5. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, 
we will also be raised to life as he was. The newness of life that you should be experiencing. Because that's what he's given us. The fulfillment of prophecy. The baby came. Jesus came. Born of a virgin. Lived his life. Went to the cross. Took your punishment. Sealed in a tomb. And on the third day. Rose. From the dead. Defeating. Sin and death. Ascended into heaven. At the right hand of the throne of God. Interceding for you. And we want to keep cowering down. We cannot be quaking in our boots. We need to be on the battlefield. We can't be, you know, burying ourselves, running and hiding. Oh, we got to get out there, you all. And we got to live. And a part of living is abiding in Christ. Because apart from Him, you can do nothing. But you should understand these truths and how they impact your life and how the newness of this new nature grows and matures. I mean, for God's sakes, we grew and mature in our flesh. We were born body, soul, and spirit. We fed the body, gave into all of its desires and its wants, whatever it was for you. And trust me, you pursued it. You went after it with all that you had in you. You engaged daily with your wants and your needs and your desires. You found a community that went along with you. You hung out with them for hours. You stayed up late in the bars with them to the early morning hours. You did what you had to do because that's how you were living in your flesh. But then God steps in. Please to reveal himself to you through his son Jesus to redeem you. He has purchased you. You belong to Christ. You accept this free gift of salvation, not by your works, but by recognizing that Jesus is the Son of God and He rose from the dead. Man can't teach you that. God reveals that to you. That becomes your belief, your confession. You're born again of a new nature. Now it's spirit, soul, and body. And just as much as you did back then in your old life, you do now. But unfortunately, a lot of people, where are they? They can run amok with the old community, but barely make it to be a part of the new community. To learn what it is. How do we act? What do we like? Oh, we have to wake up. 
We have to mature. We have to grow. We have to understand that this is a process. Not to get to perfection on this side of heaven, but to mature. We understand each other, where we're at. And we, we can't paint, uh, you know, like, oh, look, everything's okay. I'm doing good. God bless you. We know all the terms and, you know, we can do all the, the whatever and deceiving others. And then when we're by ourselves, our mind and our spirit is not settled. Because what if they find out about you? What if I'm so comfortable lying to them that they called me out in front of everyone? What if? What if? I mean, come on, we got to stop it. Be real, be transparent. Come as you are. But grow up. Mature. Develop. There's so much more for us than just him hawing all the way through and barely just doing enough just to get by. Listen, this is life, you all. This is bigger than any of us. But yet, we were purposed. Oh, do you know your God? Do you know what he's done for you? The last one is John 16, verse 8. Three scriptures I'm giving you to remind you, to encourage you what God must do in order for a sinner to become a Christian. John 6, 16, verse 8. John 16, verse 8. And when He comes, who? The Holy Spirit. He will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Do you feel, have you felt the conviction of your sin, of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment? I've been telling us over these past months, you need to see yourself as an enemy to God. If you haven't, if you haven't truly felt that weight, if you want to be burdened by something, be burdened by that. <laughs> Let it drive you to your knees. Oh God, I'm doomed. I'm doomed. But Jesus, <laughs> save me. Humble yourself before God. And be saved. You just having that understanding that you're doomed, that you're an enemy to God's throne, you wouldn't ever understand that unless God revealed it to you in His love. Because remember, it's His loving kindness that leads you to repentance. It is His loving kindness that leads you to repentance. True repentance. A true rebirth. Of a nature. So that when the old acts ugly, you say, no, I know you. I know where you will lead me. I will cling to Christ. Even if it doesn't make sense. I will learn of Christ and the new direction in which I should go. 
how I should live, how I should, how I should talk, how I should think, because the Bible tells us he transforms us by changing the way we think. And a lot of us still have old patterns of thinking that we are refusing to deal with because they're comfortable for us. I just like my misery. Come on. Come on. In this day and age where there's a lot of talk about mental illness, and it is true, even among the church, But instead of trying to treat it, we better start dealing with it. The reality of what it means for the mind to be renewed. And you say, well, don't you trivialize mental illness? I don't, because trust me, before Christ, I was a mess mentally. Suffered with mental illness. The first few years of even my walk with Christ. Crazy. I know what it is. Depression. Suicidal thoughts. Manic periods. Ups and downs. Left and rights. Chaos. I mean, you name it. Many of nights I cried alone. Many of days I was felt paralyzed. Many days I wanted to, to, to hurt others to, to, to get crazy. And if I wasn't in Christ, Lord knows what I would be doing right now. The first step to dealing with mental illness in the church is to get real. Be transparent. It's not going to shock me. It's not going to, it shouldn't shock anyone else around you. You're having thoughts. You're going through things that are not lining up. You've got issues, you've got all this oh, going on. Well, come to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. It may never go away. But one thing you will have is hope in the midst of the chaos. And there's treatments for it. I mean, there's steps that people can take and the, and the body of Christ can come alongside. But too many people are suffering in silence. And maybe those who aren't suffering in silence, the church takes a stand back and they don't know how to deal with it. So they gradually hope they leave their fellowship. That's not how it should be. It's not how it should be. We should be creating an environment that all are welcome. There is a way in which we're called to live 
And we have to get dirty sometimes. Sometimes you have to. Sometimes you have to be committed. You have to get over your life and all my schedule and this and this and you just got to get down in the trenches. You just got to be able to say, you know, brother, sister, I will walk it through it with you. Walk it through. I ain't sitting with you. I'm not letting you to abuse me because you got all that going on in you. Trust me, if they get really too uncomfortable, they'll leave. But it'll be on their doing. But they know the door will always be open. I mean, Norma was a hot mess. And I've always said, God equip us to reach more Normas. <laughs> and I don't understand, if you all really understand what Gilda and I had to do to keep loving her. Even when there was times where I'm like, God, I am exhausted. This is years now. But I love her up. I love her too, Lord. Trust me. No one understood. Others were people were telling us, get her out of your life. Don't let her around. No. If she chooses to go, or if she chooses to do whatever, and I have to put her aside, she will always know that she was loved, and she could return. Not to us, but to Christ. I mean, the woman was, whoo! You see, you got to look beyond that. With discernment. You know? With discernment. You just don't trivialize like, oh, okay, no, okay, God. No, no. That, this is serious stuff that people are dealing with out there. Not everybody. But we are living in a generation where it is chaos in their minds. And it's time that we be like our father and go out. <laughs> Start asking him to give us the desire to see others delivered unto Christ. It's, it's, it's work. It's kingdom work. But we can't get there if we're still dealing with your household. With your insecurities. With your mindset, because you aren't putting and applying truth that then you can go out and proclaim the truth. Norma said when she walked in, she told God as she was walking up to the door the first time she came to visit Gilda and I, total strangers. God, if you're not present, I'm going to end my life. And the crazy thing is, is in that season of my life, I was crazy. I wanted to, I didn't want to minister anymore. Like God, right? Go look at a smile. And oh, yeah. I was like, I, this is insanity. Who does this? Who lives this? I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it anymore, God. 
And then Gilda gets this phone call. I need to speak to your husband. Gilda's like, hey, there's this woman who's called. And I thought, oh, God. Okay, Lord. You see, your life is not your own. Ministry is not comfortable. And it's just not for the pastor and his wife. It's for all of us to engage with Christ that we can become healthy, then to engage with the unhealthy and not get tainted by it. But to stand and walk with them. And when I look at my sister today, I go, oh God, it's what you told me to give her years ago. Love wins. Love wins, you all. Love wins. Again, you have to use discernment. You can't let people run you amok and just keep taking and taking and draining and draining and draining and draining. There are times where you have to use discernment to step back. There's many seasons through the years where silence. But God was working in the midst of it all to deliver her unto him. This is the beauty that he does in each of our lives. But are you willing to put your schedule aside for others? Are you willing to set your issues aside for others and trust God with it? Because I'm telling you now, we're missing out on the harvest because the enemy in our flesh and the world is keeping us so consumed with ourselves. And we're to be out there in the harvest, being effective laborers. And we can't be if we're not truly Christians. It doesn't mean that you don't deal with the issues that you have. It doesn't mean that, you know, you just, okay, I'm not going to care about my life, I'll just care about others, because that's in error. <laughs> but the reality is, is you give them to Christ and you say, okay, God, I'm trusting you. I want to honor you. I'm going to do what I know to do. And then after I've done all I know to do, then God, I want to take your word as it says, and I'll stand. And I'll stand there for them. Suited up in the armor. Knowing that the battle is not mine, but it's yours. I don't know how you're talking to yourself. Or how you're growing. But listen, this generation, our kids, our grandkids, great-grandkids, this generation that's coming up, they ought to see Christ in your life. If they don't, then Christ, you're making a mockery of him to them. They will see no power. They will not even gain an understanding. We'll just turning them over for yet another generation cycle of a life and of individuals and families, of nations that God has just turned over to themselves. Have at it. Go to 2 Kings. <laughs> On that note...
And as you're turning there, I'm going to go over the Heidelberg Catechism. Only one question this week. But 2 Kings is where we're heading. Chapter 23, verse 31. We are finishing 2 Kings today. In the new year, we will pick up in 1 Chronicles. So yet another book down for us as we're walking through. But the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 34, deals with the fourth commandment. Question number 103. What is God's will for you in the fourth commandment? And here is God's will. Here's the answer from Scripture concerning the Sabbath. First, that the gospel ministry and education for it to be maintained, and that especially on the festive day of rest, I diligently attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, to pray to God publicly, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that every day of my life I rest from my evil ways, let the Lord work in me through his spirit, and so begin this life, the eternal Sabbath. Oh, it's beautiful. What is God's will for you in the fourth commandment? First, that the gospel ministry and education for it to be maintained. And that especially on the festive day of rest, I diligently attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, to pray to God publicly, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that the every day of my life, I rest from my evil ways. Let the Lord work in me through his spirit and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. Oh Lord, I do pray you go and you look at these scriptures that are given through this catechism and that you would be encouraged. Second Kings Twenty-three. I don't know. I send these scriptures out ahead of time for y'all to pray through, to meditate, to read upon them, and I pray that you are. I don't know about you if, if, if you did that or not this week, but wow. There's times I sat there as I study each day, and in my studies I'm just left like speechless, just kind of like, oh. This all needed to happen. And we're going to see God's faithfulness, even in the midst of his wrath. Judah, the final piece of Israel, is going to be led away in captivity. Now God's people have been removed from his promised land. Not because God's a bad God. No, those people were in complete rebellion towards him. I don't know what could be said about your life. You say, but you should know us. Oh, I should. <laughs> but I don't know your heart. 
I keep telling you, there's going to be people in hell for eternity with Jesus on their mouth, but he wasn't in their heart. Or they put on a good show. Oh, they can cry a good river. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> they can hold a form, but it hasn't transformed. <laughs> I can only hope that each of us are truly in Christ, loving Christ, knowing Christ, living for Christ, honoring Christ. It's Christ. Oh, not everything's spiritual. Oh, yes, it is. It's a new way of living. And it's all Christ. It's all Jesus. It's not some here, some there, a little post there, a little, oh, oh look at the Lord blessing me. Mm -mm. These were God's people set apart in their generation for his purposes. And they snubbed their nose at him. They were like, mm. and this is after they found the book of the law. <laughs> and they renewed their covenant and everyone's, oh, but the righteous king died and his wicked son came into power. And then all of a sudden the people forgot what the, everyone, what just transpired. And they were easily led astray back to their old ways of life. This is total ruin, you all. This is God's wrath. You know, people laugh when, when preachers or ministers say, we're under judgment of God. <laughs> oh, they're crazy kooks. Huh. Listen, this earth is cursed. It's under judgment. Only those who have been redeemed, as we read scripture last week, were cursed no longer. That enough, the church would say, yes, amen, amen. But the earth? The nations were under judgment. God's wrath. Whenever God turns it over, it's his wrath. Oh, the wrath that is coming, that's why I keep saying what is coming is nothing what we're experiencing. It's worse. And yet we're told that people will still say, you're not God, you're not God. And we just want to just come to church. Tell me a little story. Make me feel better about myself. What? What? Do we understand what we were prepared for? I mean, when the reality hit me years ago, listen, I fought not to become a Christian. I tried all the lies and the deception, everything that's out there. That's just too extreme. Oh no, that's just this and that. And, you know, I did things to try my hardest. But God just kept getting in the way. No, here's truth. No, no, here's truth. No, no, here's truth. No, I don't want any more truth. 
I mean, you can read my journal. You're talking about mental illness. If someone read that journal, they would be like, where's this crazy man at today? He's talking about spirits and darkness and clamoring and this and that and God and blah, blah, blah. You know, one of the signs that they, I don't know if you ever studied about mental illness, but one of the signs of, of what they would put people away back in the years, years ago, was if you had a God experience. And you started talking about God. But listen, you all. I can't. There's nothing I have in me that could change you. That can transform your life. But God can. Just as he called them, he's called us to be his people in our generation. Keep playing. As a nation, as an individual, as family groups. Keep playing. He will turn you over to what you want. And you will see the destruction of pure evil. Leading you, your family, and a nation into captivity. Like, you can't just read this chapter and be like, oh, 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 okay. No, do you understand the weight of these chapters we're about to read? You saw Rob, we're here so long. Ah, doesn't matter. Have you really understood the weight of these chapters? Oh, that's Israel. No, 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 that's your life. And then we will tolerate the same generational cycles in our families. We just go along with people in our families. Well, I love them. No, you don't. How can how can that be love? When they see no difference in you, but yet you tell them to get their life straightened out. I go to church, I love Jesus. There's nothing about you that even shows the power of the resurrected Christ. Rather, they be your kids, your grandkids, your mama, your daddy, your grandparents, your, your nieces, your, your nephews, whoever. No, you got to start standing up. You got to start understanding what it means to intercede. Well, I pray. Well, your prayers are not reflecting your life because look, you look busted and worn down. You may be praying soulish prayers, but those soulish prayers ain't being answered because guess what Israel did? They prayed. Soulish prayers. You know what God told them? I'm not even, I don't even hear you. Y'all just blah, 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 blah. You're treating me like I'm some other God out there. You're treating me as if whatever. Yeah, no. We got to start seeing him, y'all, for who he is. I mean, Judah. The tribe of worshipers. <laughs>
Jehoaz, verse 31 of chapter 23, was 23 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother was Hamultal, the daughter of Jeremiah, that's not the prophet, you all, from Libna. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestors had done. Pharaoh Necho put Jehoaz in prison in Riblah and the land of Hamath to prevent him from ruling in Jerusalem. He also demanded that Judah pay 7,500 pounds of silver and 70 pounds of gold as tribute. Pharaoh Necho then installed Elakim, another Josiah's son, to reign in place of his father. And he changed Elakim's name to Jehoiakim. Jehoahaz was taken to Egypt as a prisoner where he died. In order to get the silver and gold demanded as tribute by Pharaoh, Necho, Jehoiakim collected a tax from the people of Judah, requiring them to pay the proportion of their wealth. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. His mother was Zebedah, the daughter of Phedeah from Roma. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestors had done. During Jehoiakim's reign, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, Babylon invaded the land of Judah. Jehoiakim surrendered and paid him tribute for three years, but then rebelled. The Lord sent bands of the Babylonian, Aramean, Moabite, and Ammonite raiders against Judah to destroy it. Listen, this is God's people. Just as the Lord had promised through his prophets, these disasters happened to Judah because of the Lord's command. He had decided to banish Judah from his presence. This is God. Because of the many sins of Manasseh, who had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, the Lord would not forgive this. The rest of the events of Jehoiakim's reign and all his deeds are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Judah. When Jehoiakim died, his son Jehoiachin became the next king. The king of Egypt did not venture out of his country after that, for the king of Babylon captured the entire area formerly claimed by Egypt back the, from the brook of Egypt to the Euphrates River. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother was Neshuta, the daughter of Elathan from, from Jerusalem. Jehoiachin did what was evil in the Lord's sight just as his father had done. During Jehoiachin's reign, the officers of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came up against Jerusalem and besieged it. Nebuchadnezzar himself arrived at the city during the siege. Then King Jehoiachin, along with the queen mother, his advisors, his commanders, and his officials surrounded the Babylonians. In the eighth year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, he took Jehoiachin prisoner, as the Lord has said beforehand. You understand? You hearing the trend? All of this had been predicted by God because he knew the rebellious hearts of these people. Remember, God always says how he's going to move. But when he tells you, and he has shown us, when he declares his judgment, he always brings about a way out. The people just didn't listen. So he's just. He's a just God. Nebuchadnezzar carried 
away all the treasures from the Lord's temple. Wow. And the royal palace. He stripped away all of the gold objects that King Solomon of Israel had placed in the temple. King Nebuchadnezzar took all of Jerusalem captive, including all the commanders and the best of the soldier, craftsmen and artisans, 10,000 in all. Only the poorest people were left in the land. And listen, the tactics of the enemy to destroy a nation is no different than today. Y'all just take that for what it's worth. When you look at our nation and what's happening to it and the judgment that we're under. You can go back and read those few verses and see the tactics of the enemy and how they're still in play in our day and age and throughout the earth among other nations. Nebuchadnezzar led King Jehoshaphat away oh, as a captive to Babylon along with the queen mother, his wives and officials and all of, Jer- uh, all of Jerusalem's elite. He also exiled 7,000 of the best troops and 1,000 craftsmen and artisans all of whom were strong and fit for war. Then the king of Babylon installed Mataniah, Jehoshaphat's uncle, as the next king, and he changed his name to Zedekiah. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. His mother was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah from Lebanon. But Zedekiah did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as Jehoiakim had done. These things happened because of the Lord's anger against the people of Jerusalem and Judah until he finally banished them from his presence and sent them into exile. Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. So on January 15th, during the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon led his entire army against Jerusalem. They surrounded the city and built sledge, I'm sorry, and built siege ramps against its walls. Jerusalem was kept under siege until the 11th year of King Zedekiah's reign. By July 18th, in the 11th year of Zedekiah's reign, the famine in the city had become very severe, and the last of the food was entirely gone. Then a section of the city wall was broken down, and all the soldiers fled. Since the city was surrounded by the Babylonians, they waited for nightfall. Then they slipped through the gate between the two walls behind the king's garden and headed towards the Jordan Valley. But the Babylonian troops chased the king and caught him on the plains of Jericho, for his men had all deserted him and scattered. They took him to the king of Babylon at Riblah, where they pronounced judgment upon Zedekiah. They made Zedekiah watch as they slaughtered his sons. Then they gouged out Zedekiah's eyes, bound him in bronze chains, and led him away to Babylon. On August 14th of that year, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzaradan, the captain of the guard and the official of the Babylonian king, arrived in Jerusalem. He burned down the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. He destroyed all the important buildings in the city. Then he supervised the entire Babylonian army as they tore down the walls of Jerusalem on every side. Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, then took as exiles, oh God, don't miss this. <laughs> he took the rest of the exiles, I'm sorry, then took as exiles the rest of the people who remained in the city, the defectors who had declared their allegiance to the king of Babylon, and the rest of the population. 
But the captain of the guard allowed some of the poorest people to stay behind in Judah to care for the vineyards and fields. The Babylonians broke up the bronze pillars in front of the Lord's temple, the bronze water carts, the great bronze basin called the sea, and they carried all the bronze away to Babylon. They also took all the ash buckets, shovels, lamp snuffers, dishes, and all the other bronze articles used for making sacrifices at the temple. Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, also took the incense burners and basins and all the other articles made of pure gold and silver. The weight of the bronze from the two pillars, the sea and the water carts, were, was too great to be measured. These things have been made for the Lord's temple in the days of King Solomon. Each of the pillars was 27 feet tall. The bronze capital on top of each pillar was seven and a half feet high and was decorated with a network of bronze pomegranates all the way around. Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, took him as prisoner Sariah, the high priest, Zephaniah, the priest of the second rank, and the three chief gatekeepers. And from among the people still hiding in the city, he took an officer who had been in charge of the Judean army, five of the king's personal advisors, the army commander's chief secretary, who was in charge of recruitment and 60 other citizens. Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, took them all to the king of Babylon, I mean, Babylon at Riblah. And there at Riblah, in the land of Hamath, the king of Babylon had them, had them all put to death. So the people of Judah were sent into exile from their land. Then King Nebuchadnezzar appointed Jed- Jedidiah, son of Achaim, the grandson of Shaphan, as governor of the people he had left in Judah. When all of the army commanders and their people learned that the king of Babylon had appointed Jedidiah as governor, they went to see him at Mizpah. These included Ishmael's son, and those people's names there, I'm not going to butcher them anymore, and all of their men. Jedaliah vowed to them that the Babylonian officers meant them no harm. Don't be afraid of them. Live in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and all will go well for you, he promised. But to the mid, but in mid-autumn of that year, Ishmael, son of Nathias, and grandson of Elishema, who was of the royal family, went to Mizpah with ten men and killed Gedaliah, he also killed all the Judeans and Babylonians who were with Gilediah at Mizpah. Then all the people of Judah, from the least to the greatest, as well as the army commanders, listen, listen, perk up, fled in panic. And guess where they ran back to? Egypt. The place that God delivered them from. For they were afraid of what the Babylonians would do to them. God delivered them. They were never to return to Egypt. And yet, that's where they ran to. And you say, well, that's a Christmas message for us. But oh, don't miss the final verses. Remember, God's plan all along for the Messiah to come through the the family, the line of David. There was an appointed day that baby 
cry would pierce the darkness from Bethlehem. Yet though in the midst of utter destruction, in the midst of utter punishment, under such judgment of God, the hope of God remains. For yourself, for your family, and for the nation. Doesn't matter which nation you're in. The hope of God still remains. Yet though it's getting crazier and darker, the hope of God. And the 37th year of the exile of King Jehoashim to Judah, evil Merodach ascended to the Babylonian throne. He was kind to Jehoashim and released him from prison on April 2nd of that year. He spoke kindly to Jehoashim and gave him a higher place than all the other exiled kings in Babylon. He supplied Jehoashim with new clothes to replace his prison garb and allowed him to dine in the king's presence for the rest of his life. So the Babylonian king gave him regular food allowance as long as he lived. The royal line is still on the earth. And he was then put back from prison, set at the king's table, and this is the hope that Israel can look to. But we have a greater king who is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's victorious, you all. He's victorious. Yet though he was led astray, I mean led like a lamb to the slaughter, Yet though they tore his body to pieces, yet though they nailed him to a cross, yet though he experienced the wrath of God, he came for you and he came for me. So it doesn't matter where we've been, what we've done. What matters is, is that Christ is victorious. And you ought to go from this place today with the hope in your heart to say, God, I want all that you have for me and my family. I want to begin to take the ground that I have freely gave away. I want to go and I want to be a part of your purpose and of your kingdom. And I want all to know the hope that is found in Christ. Go to Acts chapter 22. Verse 17 through 23, verse 10. Paul, still in the midst of talking to those who wanted him dead. After I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple and fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, hurry, leave Jerusalem for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. But Lord, I argued, they certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And I was in complete agreement when your witness, Stephen, was killed. I stood by and kept the coats they took off when they stoned him. But the Lord said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Well, 
The crowd listened until Paul said that word. Then they all began to shout, Away with such a fellow! He isn't fit to live! They yelled, threw off their coats, and tossed handfuls of dust into the air. The commander brought Paul inside and ordered him lashed with whips to make him confess his crime. He wanted to find out why the crowd had become so furious. When they tried, I'm sorry, when they tied Paul down to lash him, Paul said, to, I love this, you all. Jesus, you talk about you need discernment. You need wisdom. You just don't give in to what's happening to you. Paul just didn't boo-hoo. Oh, they're going to hit me. No, wisdom, discernment. The Holy Spirit moved upon him. And just as he was tied and ready to get it, Paul said to the officer standing there, is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't even been tried? When the officer heard this, he went to the commander and said, what are you doing? This man is a Roman citizen. So the commander went over and asked Paul, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I certainly am, Paul replied. I am too, the commander muttered, at, and, and it cost me plenty. Paul answered, but I am a citizen by birth. The soldiers who were about to interrogate Paul quickly withdrew when they had when, when they heard he was a Roman citizen, and the commander was frightened because he had ordered him bound and whipped. The next day, the commander ordered the leading priest into session with the Jewish high council. He wanted to find out what the trouble was all about, so he released Paul to have him stand before them. Gazing intently at the high council, Paul began, Brothers, I believe before God, I, I, I have always lived, I'm sorry, I've always lived before God with a clear conscience. Instantly, Ananias, the high priest, commanded those close to Paul to slap him on the mouth. But Paul said to him, God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that? Those standing near Paul said to him, do you dare to insult God's high priest? I'm sorry, brothers. I didn't realize he was the high priest. Paul replied, and I love that. For the scriptures say you must not speak evil of any of your rulers. Look how quick Paul apologized. Paul realized, and again, here's discernment, here's wisdom, here's the leading of the Holy Spirit equipping Paul. Paul realized that some of the members of the high councils were Sadducees, and some were Pharisees. So he shouted, brothers, I am a Pharisee, as well as my ancestors. And I am on trial because my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. Come on, you all. See, if you don't know, you got to know. You got to get deep and study so you understand really what's happening here instead of just saying, oh, that's a neat story. Okay, whatever. No, no, no. Do you understand? Paul, look, Paul was in a pressing time. He could have just, cr just crumbled. But he was alert. He looked around that room and he said, uh-oh, I got two groups of people here that are divided against each other. And I'm still going to testify to Christ because he's resurrected. But I'm going to cause them to turn on each other. I'm going to take and utilize what divides them for the benefit of the kingdom. And I'm on trial because my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. 
This divided the council. The Pharisees against the Sadducees. For the Sadducees say there's no resurrection or angels or spirits, but the Pharisees believe in all of these. So there was a great uproar. Now it turns away from Paul. Now it's an uproar for each other. Some of the teachers of the religious law who were Pharisees jumped up and began to argue forcefully. We see nothing wrong with him, they shouted. Perhaps a spirit or an angel spoke to him as the conflict grew more violent. The commander was afraid they would tear Paul apart, so he ordered his soldiers to go and rescue him by force and take him back to the fortress. Listen, your Christian life is not always going to be a cakewalk. Unless you think, well, I really don't want to, I just want enough of Jesus that he doesn't bother anyone else. <laughs> Listen, that's not a Christian. You don't get to pick and choose how much of Jesus you want. You just can't go along with the crowd just to keep to peace. Remember Jesus' words. What, you think I came to bring peace? I came to divide. So you got to know your king. you got to know your king. you got to know him. For he came to seek and to save the lost. Psalm 2. We're wrapping up. Psalm 2. Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle, and rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. <laughs> but the one who rules in heaven laughs. Ha <laughs> ha! The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger he rebukes them, terrifying them with his fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem, on my holy mountain. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. The whole earth as your possession. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Now then, you kings, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. Submit to God's royal son, and he or he will become angry. And you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities, for his anger flares up in an instant. Oh, oh, but what joy for all who take refuge in him. Come on, this is our God. And unless you think the Babylonian king and all these other nations that came and stripped Israel of their identity, listen, they were appointed by God to do such things. They're of no great power. They're of no great mindset. They're just a tool of the Lord to work judgment on his people. God is in control, you all. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And if we choose as a nation, as an individual, as families, to keep resisting him and turning from him, we will get what we deserve. 
And we can't blame God because God is good and God is great. Slow to anger, abounding in mercy, and can offer us such great salvation in Christ and through Christ alone. Proverbs 18 is where we're ending. Proverbs 18, verse 13. Flipping a coin can end arguments. It settles disputes. Yes, I mean that one. It settles disputes <coughs> between powerful opponents. There's a way in which we're called to live, you all. And oh, how I pray that you're living a life that's honoring the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That is end in a song of worship. And I'll close this in prayer.